Who do you want to believe? Who do you want to believe? And does it matter? Does it matter? It's a good question. It's a good question. Okay. Uh, I need the clicker. <laughs> I forgot to get it. Is it up there? So I apologise for that. While we're waiting for that, you can jump to the next slide. One billion years old. That's a good age, isn't it? How would you like to be a billion years old? By the grace of the Lord, we hope all of us here one day will be. Anyway, don't worry about this character too much because he won't be around. Uh, <clears throat> Satan claims to be one billion years old. This is a message one person received using a Ouija board. Now, in their experience... I think they were a girl too, different person. This was off a video, an audio tape I had one day. Anyway, they, they were in the process of becoming a Christian and uh, they, they got out of this, but in, in the course of the discussions using a Ouija board, they thought they were communicating you know, with, with God, but they weren't. So they eventually asked this person, you know, who are you? And back came the answer, Satan. And you know, it was a good time to barrel out, but before she barreled out, she asked a question. How old are you? Back comes the answer. Ouija board, Satan, one billion years old. He claims to be a billion years old. The big question, can we believe him? Anyone here willing to believe him? Okay, well, we find the answer in the following. Jesus is here speaking to the Jews who are planning to kill him. That doesn't sound very good, does it? We find the answer in John chapter 8, verse 44. John 8, 44. Okay. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? So can we believe him? No, we can't. All right. Uh, so I'll go through these sad cases now. Case of these two girls I had acquaintances with over the years. One was a close one. This is the younger girl. Uh, she was not the close acquaintance. But uh, I found some stuff she'd written about and I did write to her, though that didn't go anywhere. But she'd, she was discussing Genesis chapter, well, the early chapters of Genesis. And she'd written this. <clears throat> this, this were her, these were her thoughts in her own words. And you know what I'm talking about. Who lied here? If it's between God and the snake with regard to truthfulness... In this situation, hmm, I've got to go with a snake. Go with a snake? What? I really couldn't see the logic in this decision. And we can check this. What does it say in Genesis? So we go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And this is a good question. Who do you believe? Say you're back there in the Garden of Eden. Would you believe God? Or would you believe the snake? That's what it comes down to. Genesis chapter 3. Okay. 
But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. Sadly, Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit. How did that go? It's a very simple question. Did they die? Yes, they died. The serpent said they would not die, so that was clearly not the truth. God told the truth, not the serpent. He arrives from this, don't go with the snake. That's good advice for all of us, for all our lives this side of time and forever. Don't go with the snake. Not a good choice. Now, the second case is the really sad case. Possibly these are the saddest words I've ever heard anyone say. And I felt this girl had been convicted the Seventh-day Sabbath was the correct day of worship. A work colleague I had been discussing the Sabbath with and was progressing to the millennium and what happened to the wicked with respect to the holy city. The week had ended well. It had gone well, you know. That sounded like it was very promising. I gave her a pamphlet to read on this about the millennium and I followed up on her early the next week. But... Basically, over the weekend, she had decided, or maybe it had been pushed on her, not to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Now, the discussion about the millennium previously had been about the resurrection of the wicked. Now, this would not include those who are faithful to God and keeping his commandments. And eventually, Satan leads a vast army to surround the city of God, the new Jerusalem, and attack it. It doesn't end well. Now... As I asked how she had found the pamphlet, she looked at me very sincerely and said something like, I think we may be able to win. Wasn't said in anger or just rejection, but with a yearning hope in her heart that maybe, just maybe, non-commandment keepers can take the city. I didn't know what to say. I was lost for words. Pretty much it floored me. And as I said, I was an early Christian and I just didn't know how to handle it. If I had this over again, yes, I'd think I could have a good follow-through, but back then I just didn't... I couldn't go anywhere. And sure, we can all read what happens in Revelation 20. It doesn't end well. It just doesn't end well. Um, in fact, I'm not going to read it. Okay. It's only a few verses. So let's move on to the next story. The flood. Interestingly... The ark could be considered a microcosm of the holy city. God's people on the inside and everyone else outside. And we read this in Genesis chapter 6. Just over a few chapters. You know the story. The Lord looks down 
things aren't really going well. He's not really happy with the way things are going. Six, we read this in verses 11 to 14. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. Okay. <clears throat> Pretty straightforward. We have here two decisions. Believe God and build an ark. Disbelieve God and don't do anything. So here's the question. Was it important for Noah to believe God? Okay. Think on that one. The yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> this is an interesting story because I thought, oh, hang on, everybody knows this is the yoke that Jeremiah had. But the title of the story is the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. And when you read the verses, yeah, okay, that, that's what's happening here. So we pick this up in Jeremiah chapter 27. Jeremiah 27 does it again, you know, the... The theme through all this is who do you want to believe? And it seems to be coming down to two choices. Believe the Lord or believe something else. Okay. Jeremiah, here we are. <clears throat> 27. Pick this up in verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, Make yourself thongs and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Okay, there's the yoke on Jeremiah's neck. But this is interesting what it says. It is I who by my great power, so this is God speaking to Jeremiah, <coughs> It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Uh, now it goes on and we're going to read this right little note here and this is an interesting note. This one verse says very clearly is, it is God who made the earth along with the human race and all the animals on it. God is saying, I made the earth. He says it in other places too. So, reading on. Verse 6. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations, all the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes... Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. Okay. But if any nation or kingdom will, will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine and with pestilence, says the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. Okay, now there's an interesting aside here. What happens if uh, they don't obey? 
We pick this up in verses 21 and 22. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord and the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon and remain there until the day when I give attention to them, says the Lord. Then I'll bring them back and restore them to this place. Now this is interesting because there is no mention of the Ark of the Covenant returning. Didn't come back, did it? The conclusion is that it was put in a safe place where it still has not been disturbed. The message was given by God through the prophet Jeremiah. Oh, okay. That's the end of that thought anyway. The ark's been hidden, hasn't been disturbed. And this state of affairs would occur and happen if uh, God's people were not faithful and bowed down to the king of Babylon. The message was given by God through his prophet Jeremiah. But now another stands up to give a different message. Uh -huh, here we go. Who are you going to believe? Who do you want to believe? One person or the other? And we find this in... Uh, we move on to Jeremiah chapter 28. <clears throat> in that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house. All the vessels? We you know that didn't happen. The ark didn't come back. All the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. Uh, and in verse 10, Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the, the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Okay. <clears throat> now there is more to this story. And the Lord sends Jeremiah back with a message to the false prophet. But the real problem here is just whose message was accepted. The prophet Jeremiah's message or uh, this other prophet? That was Hananiah. Hananiah. <clears throat> we find the answer in part, in part of the message Jeremiah gives to the false prophet Hananiah. And we find this in verse... 15, okay, verse 15. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. So which prophet did the people trust in? Hananiah, not Jeremiah. In short, the Lord's message to his people was rejected and the message of a false prophet was accepted instead. How did this end? Could this end well? No. We jump to Jeremiah chapter 52. Jeremiah 52. And read in verses 12 to 14. In the fifth month... 
On the tenth day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard who served the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls round about Jerusalem. Didn't end well. There's a lot more to this and you can read it in the closing chapters of the book of Jeremiah. But from here we move on to Ahab. Very interesting run. Ahab. King Ahab. Uh, which has taken us back to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Back a bit. It's uh, 4 Chronicles. Then going backwards. Then you've got 2 Kings going back. You get back. It's the last few chapters in, in 1 Kings. There's a lot happening there. Very interesting. Uh, <clears throat> big climactic battle here. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. It looks like a lot of these situations come down to deciding between two positions, like I said before. Who do you want to believe? Who do you want to believe? This story, well, we all know the story. God sent, sends fire to consume the offering Elijah had prepared. And it did not end well for the prophets of Baal. If you have a peek in verse 22, uh, it suggests... Ah, okay. Verse 22 suggests there's uh, 450 of these prophets, 450 prophets of Baal. But interestingly... And this is, I found this very interesting. If you go back a few verses to verse 19, it suggests that there may have been 850 prophets gathered at Mount Carmel. In fact, let's, let's read that verse. Uh, oh, I've got a reference to it here. It included 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 400 prophets. Remember this number. Now, I may be wrong on this, but it was a very, very interesting, uh, what do you call it, coincidence? I'm not sure. You could say it was coincidental, but maybe not. Anyway, in verse 40, uh, that's where they really have trouble. Elijah has the 400 and pro 450 prophets of Baal killed. That's 450. So how many prophets were killed? 450. What about the 400 prophets of Asherah? What happened to them? Hold that thought. So from here, I meant to have that slide up. Okay, that's where we were, 1 Kings 18. So hold that thought. And we now go to basically, yeah, where are we going? 1 Kings 22. That's it. Great heading. Ahab and the false prophets. It just... Uh, if it wasn't so serious, you could nearly, nearly, nearly laugh. It's Ahab. It's a great title. Ahab and the false prophets. How is this going to end? It can't end well. It just can't. 
Okay, we find this story in 1 Kings 22, 1 to 6, 26. But just remember, back in chapter 18, there was a big confrontation with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. This ended with Elijah running before Ahab as the Lord sent a great rain with the drought breaking. And this is really interesting. Things seem to pick up with Ahab. With the Lord helping him defeat King Ben-Hadad of Syria twice. I was amazed when I read this. I thought, oh, this is really interesting. You know, you've got Ahab and Jezebel causing all sorts of trouble. Elijah turns up, calls down fire from the Lord on his sacrifice. The 450 prophets of Baal are, are killed. Elijah goes up and prays, prays for rain. The Lord sends the rain and he ends up running before Ahab back to Jezreel, I think it said. Uh, so, where are we? 1 Kings 20, we actually find this, this amazing con, uh, bit with Ahab here being helped by the Lord. Just back a couple of chapters, chapter 20 and verse 13 and 28. They're, they're worth looking at. 13 and 28. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't write them down, but we'll read it. These are, these are worth reading. Verse 13. And behold... There came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I'll deliver it. Turn the page here. Deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Now, what got all this stirred up? If you go back to verse 1, this is chapter 21. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. So it was King Ben-Hadad causing the trouble. And here in 13, the Lord sends a prophet to Ahab. Don't worry, don't worry. Going to help you, going to help you. And he does it again in verse 28. And this was the second time. Uh, where are we? Hmm, okay. We should read verse 26 too. So once that battle's won, then we come down to verse 26. And it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Arphek to fight against Israel. So he's come back again, going to cause more trouble. And the Lord sends help. Verse 28. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel, that's Ahab, and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys, therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So he's on a roll. In this chapter of the Bible, Ahab is on a roll. Twice the Lord sent a prophet to him, I'm going to deliver you. And he does. Now, uh, sadly, the chapter doesn't completely end well. And the, but there's still maybe hope for Ahab. Maybe hope for Ahab. But all that changes in chapter 21 with the murder of Naboth. We won't go into it. You know, Naboth's vineyard is a very sad story. With Jezebel, his wife, that's Ahab's wife, being at the centre of the matter. Very messy, very nasty cruel, evil, what they did, and Jezebel was at the heart of it. God sends Elijah with a message to Ahab that he and Jezebel will come to a very unhappy end. Very messy. God doesn't mince matters, and it's pretty graphic. That's in chapter 21. And so, 
we come to chapter 22. Ahab and the false prophets. It's a great title. Ahab and the false prophets. Verse 1. For three years Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year Jehoshaphat the king of Judah came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as are your people, my horses as your horses. And this is where it all falls apart. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. I I read that and I thought, hmm, I wonder. I wonder if they're the 400 that was mentioned before. Could be. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And I put a little note in here, which I've already said, could these 400 be the prophets of Asherah previously mentioned? doesn't say, but it's an interesting thought. Continuing on in verse 7. But Jehoshaphat said, this just gets better. (laughs) But Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imla. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. No, not Micaiah. He just says terrible things about me all the time. Verse 9. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imla. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah were sitting on their thrones arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah the son of Chenea made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, You know, he's pulled him aside basically and said, Look, behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favourable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favourably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. I always thought that was strange, but that's what he said. But the king said to him, How many times shall I adjure you that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And if you don't get it, it means there's no king, the king has died. 
is dead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, you know, he basically said, didn't I tell you? I told you. Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Okay. Well, we jump to verse 26. The king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with scant fare of bread and water until I come in peace. <laughs> and Micaiah replies to that. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. To the point. <laughs> Straight to the point. And he said, Hear all you people. Well, of course, this did not end well for King Ahab, but it could have if he had been faithful to the Lord. It could have. Two messages, one from the Lord and one not from the Lord. Did it matter to Ahab who he believed? If he'd believed Micaiah, he wouldn't have gone to Ramoth Gilead. Wouldn't have lost his life. Uh, did I say that right? I don't think I did. I think I said it the wrong way around. If he'd believed Jeremiah, yeah, Micaiah, the other guy was the false prophet. Now hang on, I'm, I'm getting mixed up here. Sorry, it was Micaiah. That's right. Micaiah was the Lord's prophet. And the other guy, there was, there's a lot of them, 400 of them, and we're told back here was Chenea made for himself horns of iron. Okay, they were on the wrong side. Micaiah was on the Lord's side. If Ahab had believed Micaiah and the message from the Lord, his life would have been saved. So what do we get out of all of this? Here's some advice that is still true for our day. In 2 Chronicles 20.20 we read, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And, you know, we can ask ourselves this question. Does it matter who you believe? From here we're jumping to John chapter 14. I'm just getting there before I go to the slide. John chapter 14. Okay, great chapter. Wonderful. Okay. <clears throat> so does it matter who you believe? Everything may depend on who you believe. Well, it'd be nice to end on a happy note, so let's do that. Let's end on a happier note. Jesus is speaking here in John 14. We read verses 1 to 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to my... Uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, that's a good thought, and the week of prayer ends up pretty much with a thought in this direction too. Uh, it's about even unto death, and 
Paul was looking to the Lord coming back and he'd be seeing God, he'd be raised up at the last day. And like Jesus said, I will come again. Where I am, you may be also. He's, taking his, he's going to be taking his people home to heaven. And with these thoughts with Paul, Scott here, His mind grasps the Saviour's promise. I'll raise him up at the last day. His thoughts and hopes are centred on the second coming of his Lord and as the sword of the executioner descends and the shadows of death gather about the martyr, his latest thought springs forward, as will his earliest in the great awakening, to meet the life-giver who shall welcome him to the joy of the blessed. Well nigh a score of centuries have passed since Paul the aged poured out his blood as a witness for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. No faithful hand recorded for the generations to come the last scenes in the life of this holy man. But inspiration has preserved for us his dying testimony. Like a trumpet peal, his voice has rung out through all the ages since, nerving with his own Encourage thousands of witnesses for Christ and waking in thousands of sorrow-stricken hearts the echo of his own triumphant joy. I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only, but unto all them that also that love his appearing. And as Jesus said, I will come again. Now there's someone we really want to believe. Amen.